God's Word this morning to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 26 through 38 this morning as we continue our uh, short series from Luke 1 and Luke 2. Being reminded again, first of all, of the reason for Luke's writing this was to provide Theophilus, who as far as we can determine, was uh, a believer in God, but not yet a Christian. And so he was seeking in this gospel account to lay before Theophilus an orderly account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. This is where we begin to tell others the good news. This is where Luke begins. Perhaps it's a good reminder to us to take this in so that uh, we have this too as part of our witness of our Lord and Savior. Luke 1.26 in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the same and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. As far as the reading of God's word, let's again pray and ask for God's blessing upon it. And amen. So last Lord's Day, we were at the section just previous to this with the big reveal that was made to Zechariah that he and his barren wife Elizabeth were going to have a child. 
They were to name their child John, and John was going to be the one who would come before. He would be the herald. He would be the one to announce. He would be the one to proclaim the coming of the Lord. He would preach repentance. He would prepare many hearts for the day of Christ's ministry and for the work of Christ. Today, we have the bigger reveal. If that was a big revelation, this one is even larger. This one is bigger yet. This one is even more cause for us to drop our jaws in awe and wonder in the miracle of God's love for us. First of all, note with me the setting in verses 26 and 27. We are told the time. Luke, remember, is giving to us an orderly account. So he told us in the last couple of verses of chapter 1 that Elizabeth conceived, verse 24, and for five months she kept herself hidden. Probably not wanting to cause any attention, she wanted to perhaps uh, keep this secret for a variety of reasons, to just keep mouths from jibber-jabbering, for her to say, oh, the Lord's promised me a child, and people going, oh, that old Elizabeth and Zechariah, there they go again, thinking they've got a child. So she waits until that six month when it would be obvious. So she hides, goes in hiding for five months. Now, in the sixth month, the angel. So Luke is giving us an orderly account. He isn't somehow switching scenes, switching settings. The last thing he mentioned was the fifth month of, e of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now he mentions the sixth month. We are now in the sixth month. He reiterates that later on in verse 36. Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. So Mary, at this point, is not yet pregnant. That has not yet occurred. It's not the sixth month of Mary's pregnancy. It's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Mary doesn't even know yet about the fact that Elizabeth is pregnant. They don't live in the same town. They don't even live in the same area. They're probably somewhere around 65, 70 miles apart. The setting is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And we have the angel again, the same angel we had before, Gabriel. It's mentioned to us here. It's specifically told to us that it was Gabriel. The same angel who had appeared to Zechariah to announce the birth of John. The same angel that has spoken previously to Daniel about the coming of the Son of Man. So there's a tie-in there. Why does the Lord send Gabriel? Because he's the same one who had announced earlier that the Son of Man would be coming. The Christ, the Messiah. Now he comes again to make that announcement. There are only two places where Gabriel is mentioned. Daniel and this first chapter of Luke. Both times 
He is there to announce the birth of the coming Christ, the coming Messiah. He has come again from the presence of the Lord. So as we talked about last time, coming from the presence of the Lord, all of that beauty and all of that majesty, in all of that glory, now there before Mary. Thirdly, we're told the city. Luke wants us to know this. Mary, excuse me, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth is about 60 miles north of Jerusalem and about 15 miles from the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is to the east of it. The Mediterranean Sea is about 25 miles to the west of it. It is basically in the middle of nowhere. That would be the way we describe it. So much so that as Jesus begins his ministry, the common proverb of the day is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? How could anything ever arise out of such an obscure, small little place? It's not even mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. It seems to simply be a very small, mainly family community where everybody knows everybody and everybody is interrelated in some way or another. Sort of sounds like Dutch West Michigan in some respects in that regard. So this is the place. Not Rome, not Jerusalem, not Alexandria, not Athens, not Corinth. Some obscure little place in the middle of Nowheresville that has a very small population where nothing noteworthy has ever happened or transpired. This is where the angel Gabriel is sent. In some respects, quite a contrast to where we were last week. At least last week we were in Jerusalem. Last week we were in the temple. Last week we were right before the veil. Last week we were at the altar of incense. Now, we're in the middle of nowhere. The greatest revelation that is about to take place, takes place nowhere significantly. And note the person to whom the announcement comes. To a virgin. That's the first thing we're told. First thing we're told is she's a virgin. We're not even told her name. The first thing that Luke wants us, the first thing that the Holy Spirit wants us to know about this woman to whom this great reveal is coming is that she is a virgin. She has never had sexual intercourse with any male. Never happened, never transpired. The second thing that it wants us to tell us about her, not her name, no, that she's pledged to a man by the name of Joseph. 
She is betrothed. She is in a legal agreement that she is going to marry this older man. She being but a young girl, that day and age, anywhere from 13 to 15, he probably somewhere around the age of 30. This is the arrangement that has been made. She has not had a say. She didn't get to say a word about it. She didn't get to offer her opinion. She didn't get to, you know, go on a couple of blind dates with him, see how it was. We didn't get to do some, you know, clicking on her phone to find out, look, do a little research about this guy. Nothing. It's all set up. What's interesting about Mary is we don't even read anything about her parents. We don't even know what kind of situation she actually lived in as far as a family. We know they're poor. That much we are aware of. Choices did not seem to be something that Mary had a lot of say about. Then we're told her name is Mary. I told you in, in Luke 1, names are pretty important. Mary. The, the, the background of the name Mary is Miriam. Okay, Old Testament, Miriam. Sister of Moses and Aaron, Miriam. It's a Hebrew name. Or it's not a Hebrew name. It's actually an Egyptian name. And it means beloved. Well, that fits, doesn't it? Beloved. But you know, you take the same name from the, from the Egyptian derivative, it means beloved. But in the Hebrew, it's the same as Mara, bitterness, rebellion. The Lord picks a woman by the name of Mary who is, as the angel will greet her, beloved. But at the same time, oh, the heartache, oh, the bitterness of this woman and his sword is going to pierce your heart too. We can't help but read this passage in light of those words and standing at the cross where his mother the disciple whom he loved. That pondering in her heart. Both beloved. Oh, the bitterness. Because of the rebellion of God's people. Because of the rebellion of sin. This is the setting. Now comes the greeting. He doesn't even tell her first what's up. He first greets her. There is a blessing. Look at verse 28. Greetings, O favored one. The word greetings here can mean peace with you. It's okay. Shalom. Don't be frightened. Don't be scared. It's okay. Shalom. You're favored. What does that mean? It means that God has given grace. It doesn't mean she has lived such a pure life, she has lived such a holy life, she has earned grace. No, she is favored. She has been given grace. 
Mary's response indicates this because she is confused by this greeting. She's a little bewildered. Here she is in the presence of one of God's holy angels with the glory of God, with that purity, with that sinlessness. And she understands she's a sinner. How can you say that it's peace? How can you say that I'm favored? I know who I am. I know my heart. I know my life. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm not sinless. And what does the angel respond? Don't be afraid. You've found favor. You have found grace. See, that's what favor is. You've found grace. Yeah, you are a sinner, Mary. Yes. You have a sinful nature. Yes. You have committed sins throughout your whole young life. But God has given you grace. And in that, in that, God has given grace. She now can be used by him. So here comes the big announcement. Now, Joel and Katie, I, I was wondering about this. I was actually going to call you this week and say, so how do you announce birth number four to the family? Okay? You know, is announcement of birth number four done through a text? Was it done in person? So just quick, how did you, how did you make announcement number four known to everybody? Pardon? In person. Good for you. Okay? So I have an in-person story to tell you about. Okay? Of how this is done. I'm about probably 11, 12 years old. It's a Monday night. Okay? Um, and it's late. It's, it's, it's an odd time for us to get visitors. But we, we got a couple of visitors. My oldest brother uh, and his wife came. And my brother Jerry still had his cadet shirt on, so he had been to cadets and came, and they're just sitting there visiting with my folks, having this little chat, and uh, Dorothy is busy knitting as she normally was, and my mother asked, Dort, what are you knitting? And she held up a pair of booties, and my mother's response was, oh, Dorothy, you're pregnant. That was Brad. Okay. I don't think the booties fit anymore. Okay. Well, upon that day, how do you make that announcement? Right? We, we, the big reveal. Listen to the angel. Let's go back to our text. He tells her, one, you're going to have a son. What a blessing this was. Every Hebrew woman desired to have the birth of a son. It meant legacy. It meant being taken care of. It meant 
that there would always be someone to watch over you, someone to care for you, someone to make sure you were fed, you were housed, you were clothed. Because remember, Joseph's considerably older. Every Hebrew wife pretty much knew her husband was going to die before she did. She needed someone to care for. Remember how Elizabeth responds to the news of that pregnancy? The Lord has taken away my shame, my reproach. Mary, you're in a pretty desperate situation. There are a lot of things happening in your life that are out of your control. Here's going to be another one, but this one is good news. You're going to have a son. It's going to be conceived in your womb. No adoption. That wasn't going to be the means. No uh, other means like Abraham and Hagar type thing and Sarah. That's not the option. No. There will be a life conceived in your womb. And that life is going to be a son. Secondly, the son's name is to be Jesus. Now, the angel here does not explain this, but when an angel visits Joseph, Matthew chapter 1, in, in the dream, or in the vision that Joseph has, we are told that that angel, perhaps Gabriel, although he's not mentioned there, tells Joseph, you're to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Names have meaning. You're going to have a son, Mary, and that son is going to be the one who saves his people from their sins. He is the one who is going to be the savior. He is the one who is going to be the redeemer. Third, he tells her that the son is going to have a title. He will be called the son, verse 32, of the most high. Now that phrase, most high, is an Old Testament reference used repeatedly in the Old Testament to refer to the absolute sovereignty of God and the absolute fact that he and he alone is God. Mary, you're going to have a son. That son is going to save his people from their sins and he will be given a title. The Son of the Most High. And he will be given a position. Verse 32. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. When we've been there 10,000 years bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. This is the descendant of David. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ, Mary. No forerunner. This is it. The Christ 
is coming and you are the one who is going to bring the Christ into this world from your womb. What an announcement. Do you realize that, that in history, for thousands of years, this promise has been waiting to be fulfilled? Ever since Genesis 3.15. Ever since God said to Abraham, from you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Promise after promise after promise. Covenants made. Promises made. Your son shall always sit upon the throne, David. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are least out of you, shall come forth. And you shall call his name Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All those prophecies. Right here. Right in this announcement. No, hey, another hundred years, hey, Watch for this, and then maybe, no, now, right now, here it is. Mary, you are going to be the mother of the Christ. She gets it. This is not a Zechariah in doubt. This is... Her understanding, well, how will this happen? How will this be? See, this isn't her saying, I don't think it's going to happen, or this can't take place. There's no way this is going to happen. No. How? How will I become this mother? How will this happen? Notice the means, then, that the angel tells her about. Verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's a parallel, right? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, or I could say it, the power of the Most High will come upon you. A very rich picture for any follower of the Old Testament. Genesis 1 verse 2. And the Spirit was hovering over the waters. You remember when, we, when I preached on that word hovering a number of years ago? It's energy. It's life-giving energy that the Spirit is bringing in. We sing that on, in that hymn, Sevenfold Energy. It is that overcoming, that overshadowing that is mentioned as well, demonstrated in Exodus chapter 40 after the tabernacle had been built and the Shekinah cloud of glory comes over the tabernacle. 
Psalm 104, and the Spirit makes life to abound. See, notice Mary isn't asking any more questions about that. She gets it. The Holy Spirit is going to give life. And that life is going to be in my womb. And I am going to deliver that child into the world. The angel tells her, Gabriel tells her, this is the purpose. The reason it is to be this way is so, verse 35, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God, sinless, pure, without that fatherly Without that, in sin did my mother conceive me of David. Without that sinful nature that comes to us from our father, Adam. No, Mary, this conception will not be by Joseph. Nor will he be called the son of Joseph. Not from God's point of view. He will be called the Son of God. Holy. There's no sex involved in this. Say, did you really need to mention that? Yes. Because in our modern day, there are faiths, there are groups out there who believe that. That's heresy. That's wrong. That's false. It's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible says, like the Spirit hovered over the waters, like the Shekinah glory of God came over the tabernacle, it is the Spirit who implanted life within Mary so that the child, without human generation, thought of as the Son of God, holy. Can you imagine what this must have been like for Mary? Notice she doesn't ask for a sign. Notice she doesn't say, give me some indication. Do some other miracle. Here's the graciousness of God. He just gives it to her. What is the sign? Verse 36, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a child and she's in the sixth month even though she was barren. What is impossible with men? Is possible with God. What a gracious God. Notice what she's going to do. Verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste to the old country to see Elizabeth. Let me see this sign. 
God's given a sign. Let me see the sign. But notice verse 39. All of this, all of this announcement, all of this big reveal. Look at her response. Two things. I am the servant of the Lord. What humility. We might want to go, wow, isn't Mary something? Yes, she is. Mary is quite something. But she is no different than you and I. What do you mean by that, Pastor? God put his name upon you. What is the name that's upon you? I am the Lord's servant. That's the message here. I am the Lord's servant. God put his name upon Audra this morning. What is to be Audra's response? What is she be, to be trained by her parents, by Joel and Katie? What, what is she to do? What are we as a congregation to be praying about? What are we to be uh, working towards? What are we to be discipling towards that Audra would someday, as Brother Brent prayed, someday stand and say, yes, I am the Lord's servant. In all humility, I understand that I am not a God unto myself, that I am not the king, that he is, that he rules, that he reigns, and I humbly submit myself to him. Oh, yes, Mary is quite something. You say, well, yes, Jesus Christ lived inside of her. Hear yourself. Isn't that exactly what we believe is true of us? That God, through the Holy Spirit, Christ lives within us? Is not this what the Apostle Paul says over and over and over again in the epistles? That Christ in me, Christ in me, how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Huh, isn't that interesting? The Holy Spirit gives life and implants Christ in us. Amazing, isn't this? Yes. As much as we sit back and go, wow, Mary, that's quite something. Look in the mirror. For every redeemed child of God. And how can this be? Grace, grace, grace. It's all of grace. When Audra, we pray, someday accepts this covenant promise that she is the Lord's servant. It's by grace. Not what she earned, not what she deserved. Grace. But no, not only her humbleness, look at what else she says. Behold, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Here I am. I am ready to serve. I am willing to serve. Use me, Lord. Use me just as you desire.
And that's what we pray against. For Hundra at her baptism. And not only will she come to recognize that she is the Lord's servant, but that she desires to serve with her whole being. Does Mary know what lies ahead on this road? Well, not fully, but she's got a clue. She's got a clue. Let's see, I'm going to have to tell people I'm pregnant. It's not Joseph. I'm going to have to tell people that it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can see their looks. I can see their faces. I can hear the laughter. I can feel the rejection. Yes, when we take a stand for the Lord, when we say, Lord, you've laid your claim upon me in my baptism, and now, Father, I, I accept those covenant promises as my own. I acknowledge them. The world says, really? Come on. Holy Spirit? Christ? You've got to be kidding me. We know full well what lies ahead. But Mary only knew in part. But we know more fully, don't we? We know the immensity of the love of God. Because that child was going to save his people. But it meant his death. It meant the shedding of his blood. In order. Ah, that's right. What do we do here? We picture that, don't we? The shedding of his blood for the washing away of our sins. That's why we come to a baptism and we celebrate God. And what God has done. This is his great revelation. Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. And God's people say, Amen.